May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here. Good to be back. You may be wondering why we have white chairs. We've added some red chairs to the side, and uh, we're, in we'll, we're getting re new red chairs. It'll be coming in a month. But Wednesday, we have the first school service, and there are 270 students and about 35 staff and parents and grandparents, and we now have a grand total of how many chairs? 330. So we're going to see how that goes. That's why the white chairs are here. It's a good problem to have, let me just tell you. I want to talk to you this morning about this reading from Hebrews, the big idea is God disciplines his children out of love. Sometimes that's hard to hear. We ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Why me? What did I do to deserve this? We all have things we wish were different in our lives. It's just the way it is. We all wish we had things that were different. And why... Why do bad things happen? Well, bad things happen because we live in that Genesis 3 world we talk about, Genesis 1 and 2. Everything's copacetic. Everything's in relationship. God's in relationship with his creation. And in chapter 3, sin enters the world, and it all falls apart. That relationship is destroyed. Death, destruction, disappointment, betrayal, disease, all of it enters the world, all the stuff we don't like. And the rest of Scripture is really a story of how we're attempting to reconcile ourselves with God the Father. And that finally comes to fruition in the New Testament when Jesus sacrifices himself on the cross for all those who put their faith in him, repent of their sins, and are reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we live in that Genesis 3 world today. Um, chapter 12, verse 4 says, just a little context, in your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This happens, this is written before 70 A.D. 70 A.D., uh, Rome destroys uh, Jerusalem, destroys the temple. Uh, Israel is no more until 1948. Uh, they're not being persecuted by the Romans. These people that are on the receiving end, of, receiving end of this letter are being persecuted by Jewish people those who don't like the idea of their brothers converting to this Christian faith, this following this guy, Jesus. And so they're making life very, very difficult for them. They're feeling pressure uh, of being a Christian. And Jesus kind of predicts this in John 15 or 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Hmm. We, um, we feel this kind of pressure sometimes as Christians, even in a social way, within uh, families. So maybe parents are, are Christians, but their children want nothing to do with it. Maybe children uh, have come to faith, and now we're working on the parents. Maybe you have a spouse who's not really involved in any of this kind of thing, right? Um, maybe your friends have a different view of what faith is all about. And maybe you 
have come to faith while you were part of that group, and now you're different. Repentance doesn't mean turn around. It means think differently. As a result of thinking differently, you turn around and go the other way. What happened to you? That's like that old saying, those wedding bells are breaking up that old gang of mine. Yeah. Well, so does the faith break up that old gang of mine in many ways. There's economic struggles or persecution. I remember when Chick-fil-A said that marriage was between a man and a woman. You'd think they would have, you know, released COVID or something. And Hobby Lobby's little sisters of the poor wanted nothing to do with the abortion uh, piece in any way with, with medicine or prescriptions or anything like that. The cake bakers who wouldn't bake a cake for a gay wedding were persecuted. I think of... Um, Chaplains who wanted to preach an evangelical gospel in the military and got chastised for that. Now we have kind of, re I guess you'd say reality. And I hate to break it to you. Hate to break it to you, Mike. Men can't have babies. I firmly believe that if men did have babies, the human race would have died out millions of years, thousands of years ago. Right? Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. All right. Uh, drag queen story hours are not good for children. That is not helpful. The sexualization of our children in schools and elsewhere is an abomination, but it continues these kinds of things come against a Christian biblical worldview. That's what we're kind of holding on to here, a biblical worldview. And it's getting a little bit more difficult to do that, but we still have to be faithful. Remember the battleship piece, right? Sound gun. We'll get to that later. The uh, talks about discipline in these verses get these out because it's longer. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time at their pleasure. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines his people. Not because he doesn't like us, but because he loves us. The word is paideia. It means, discipline means uh, training or child rearing. Right? Now, how you do this depends. John Henry Jowett was the pastor of Newcastle on Tyne, England. He began a series of children's meetings. At the very first meeting, four boys with penny whistles upset the meeting by playing tunes while Jowett was speaking. An usher rounded up the boys and took them into the vestry where they faced Jowett. Can't you fellows play those whistles any better than that, Jowett asked. 
If you can, I shall have to get Mrs. Jowett to give you some lessons. A few weeks later, the four boys gave a concert with Mrs. Jowett accompanying them on the piano. She could have said, get out and never come back. How dare you interrupt my speaking? But instead, he took them and disciplined them in a way that resulted in something that was really, really good. Wonderful. I love that story. Proverbs says this. A fool despises his father's instructions, but he who heeds admonition is prudent. Discipline your sons, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's really true. How do we treat our children? How do we bring them up? How do we train them to do the right thing? Um, some would say that children should be raised in a totalitarian state. Here's a quote from Ann Landers, a letter by a father to his son. Dear son, as long as you live under this roof, you will follow the rules. In our house, we do not have a democracy. I did not campaign to be your father. You did not vote for me. We are father and son by the grace of God. I consider it a privilege and I accept that responsibility in accepting it, I have an obligation to perform the role of a father. I'm not your pal. The age difference makes such a relationship impossible. We can share many things, but you must remember, I am your father. This is a hundred times more meaningful than being a pal. You will do as I say in this house. You are not to disobey me because whatever I ask you to do is motivated by love. This may be hard for you to understand at times, but the rule holds. You will understand perfectly when you have a son of your own. Until then, trust me, love, Dad. Seems like a little harsh. A little harsh, maybe. Um, I remember when we were moving, uh, I think Kathy and I totaled 17 times in our married life. We moved 17 times. And a, lot, a bunch of those were with the kids when they were growing up. And so we'd go to a new house, and every one of the kids had a room. So one would get the living room, one would get the dining room, one would get the a family room. And they had to keep it vacuumed and dusted and cleaned up. And then when we'd move, they'd shift, they'd switch. Now, they never had the kitchen, they never had a bathroom, had to keep their room picked up, but they always had something they had to do. And it seemed to work, and they, I think they appreciated it. I mean, we weren't whipping them and making them, you know, bread and water or anything like that, but there was an expectation that they would fulfill those responsibilities. I think we, we need more of that. The purpose of discipline is training and, and correction, is to change behavior, to prevent or stop something before something bad happens, to help you to be able to make good decisions. So as you grow, and you're more and more on your own without the oversight of parents. You need to be able to make good, solid decisions that will bring joy to your parents and your grandparents, you see. This is how this works. What? I don't think she wants to hear this. I, she's waving me off. I don't understand. Okay, Dad. It's education to help you to avoid 
problems, all right? Discipline is not punishment. I will say this with some trepidation. The Gators are a well-disciplined team, not a well-punished team. Discipline versus punishment. There's a difference. But the problem is, and it's a sad state of affairs with children today, I think. Uh, you look at behavior in classrooms, it's a mess. Disrespect for police, authority, just authority in general. Teachers, parents. I saw a video the other day of these toddlers in diapers kicking police. I don't know if some of you saw that. But they were kicking the police and hitting them. I don't know what was going on or who was, who was doing what to who, but these little kids had no respect for the police. And as you grow up, and if you really believe that's who you are, it's, it's not good. Societal problems and discipline in the home are a big problem. Lack of fathers in the home has always been a problem. And when you have a lack of a father in the home, you have an increase in crime and poverty and addiction and unwed pregnancy, all kinds of things. One of the good things is from our faith and family group, faith and, family, faith and freedom commission that meets here at Christ the King once a month, uh, we've had something come out of that called Dads on Duty. And the guy who sort of got that rolling uh, has now gotten into the prison system. And he's looking for and working with dads who are in prison, who are getting out of prison, whose children are in foster care, and the kids, when they get out of prison, will be coming back to them. And they're trying to give them some skills to be a good dad, to be a father that they've never had before because they probably didn't have anybody to raise them. They were probably part of this group, but they were, when they were 14 years old, they were socialized by the 14 or the 17 and 18 year old standing on the street corner. That's how they learned what it meant to be a man, you know. I always appreciated Bernardo. We'd, be, we'd go down to Honduras and there was a farm with teenage boys. I don't know, about 75 boys. And uh, what, what was the oldest? Seven, 16, 17? Something like that. Well, they're getting ready to get out of the farm area, learning how to be a farmer and take care of things like this. And after dinner, we would go down to the dining area, and then most of us would just play like Connect Four or cards or something like that where you didn't need to communicate much. But Bernardo would have the third-year students at a big table around him, and he's telling them and he's talking to them about what it means to be a man, what it means to be a responsible adult as they move away from this kind of uh, protected environment and go out into the world and into the community and take your place as a husband, as a father, as, a, pers as a, a, some, a productive member of society. A lot of the kids didn't have that, but he was a blessing to a lot of them. And that's what this Dads on Duty is trying to do now. There are certain ways to see God's discipline. You can see it with resignation, stoic. Get it over with. Fine. Okay. I don't, just, just, all right. Just put it up with. I'm not learning anything from it. I'm not growing from it. I'm not trying to think of what God is up to here. I've stopped asking why years ago. Now I just say, what are you up to? Okay, that's, why, that's my question. Okay, what are you up to? What am I supposed to be seeing? There's um, self-pity, poor me. How about resentful? Why me? Why not you? Yeah, it should be you. Or you can accept it as coming from a loving father. There was a, in the, in the uh, 18th century, there was a, a man named William Carey. Carey was a Brit. He was a cobbler, a shoemaker, a shoe repair guy, shoemaker. 
and he wanted to be a missionary, and he went to India. He had a third-grade education, and he just felt called to go to India to be a missionary. And then he said, I'm going to learn Sanskrit. I want to translate the Bible into Sanskrit. He learned Sanskrit. He began to translate the Bible into Sanskrit. He ultimately translated the Bible into 38 different languages that were associated with Sanskrit. And along the way, he says, we need a, we need a printing operation. So he started to create these, le- these uh, type set type things out of lead that were not, Eng- not English letters, but these Sanskrit figures, you know. I mean, very complicated. And at one point, getting help from England, he had 200 people in this printing operation. They were pounding out Bibles, and they had the whole thing going, and it was great. And one day, a fire came and destroyed everything. The presses, the, the lead melted. His original manuscripts were burned up. Everything was gone. And they said, Terry, why did God do this? He said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe God is testing me for Satan like he did with Job. I don't know. A year later, they were up and running like nothing had ever happened. Because because he saw God, he knew that God had not abandoned him. We live in a Genesis 3 world. Bad things happen to good people, but I'm not going to let it defeat me. I'm going to carry on, and they came right back up. A year later, they were back where they were. It was amazing. I don't have control over my circumstances, but I do have control over my attitude. Now, you go to the ho- a hospital room. I go to hospital rooms fairly frequently, as is Father Tom. And when Father Tom, he was the chaplain at Advent for 16 years, so he was in a hospital room like all the time. I will tell you, one of the big things you look for as you go into one of those rooms is attitude. What is the attitude of the person who's there? What is the attitude of their family toward the person who's there or toward the care that they're getting? You'll find some people, boy, man, they're complaining about the food, the service, the sheets, the TV, everything. And I'm thinking to myself, it's going to take you longer to get well. It's going to take you longer to get well because what you're doing is very draining. Then you have people who have a really positive outlook, positive attitude. I'm going to get up here. I'm going to get out. It's, it's going to be. And that's the kind of person you hope they're going to be because of their attitude is so important. I think of the circle over here. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we have this, the uh, adult women with special needs. And Father Tom goes over there every Friday and does a Bible study. Every Wednesday, they come up here for the healing service. They sit right here. And we have a ball. They are so funny. And I love the parents who are with them because they just love these, these young people. Some of them aren't so young, but they just love them. And we interact with one another, and it's, it's very enervating for me. It's like I don't feel sorry for them. I, don't, I, don't, I never get that sense because they're, they're just doing what God wants them to do. It, there's not a lot of this, oh, none of that. It's, it's, it's good. Sometimes, uh, Somerset's mom, the English writer, once wrote a story about a janitor at St. Peter's Church in London. One day, a young vicar discovered that the janitor was illiterate, and he fired him. Jobless, the man invested his meager savings in a tiny tobacco shop where he prospered and bought another, expanded, and ended up with a chain of tobacco stores worth several hundred thousand dollars. 
One day, the man's banker said, You've done well for an illiterate, but where would you be if you could read and write? Well, replied the man, I'd be the janitor of St. Peter's Church in Neville Square. He didn't expect to get fired because he was illiterate, but he didn't roll over and die. He took what he had and he made something of it. When William Sangster was told that he was dying of progressive muscular atrophy, he made four resolutions and faithfully kept them. One, I will never complain. Two, I will keep the home bright. Three, I will count my blessings. And four, I will try to turn it to gain. Mm. We look back. Sometimes discipline can be very painful. And we look back and we think, that's, that's why that happened. Whether my broken leg led me to be a priest, which is the story. Whether Liam's accident led him to find Sarah and now have Lily and Fiona. Whether Donald's Guillain Beret led him in another direction. But my latest one is my elbow. My elbow. Um, I did not plan to dislocate my elbow. It was no fun. Uh, but what, did it, what has it done for me? What it has done for me is make me appreciate things I always took for granted, okay? Like putting on my socks. It also made me appreciate my wonderful wife who did all this stuff for me. How about putting on a belt, okay? Um, I would, putting on your pants or a shirt or anything, right? And then things would happen like I would come home and say, couldn't believe it. You know what I did today? I put my mask on when I went to the hospital with both hands, not just one. Or maybe the day that I could use a Q-tip with my left hand. Or maybe I could comb my hair. Don't laugh. I could comb my hair with this. Oh, that's yeah, not that funny, Amy. I could use my left hand. I could put my collar on. I could button the shirt couldn't do any of that. I couldn't do any of it. And it's like, you know, when I, when, I, when I walk, I thank God I can walk because of that broken leg. I'm telling you what, I'm thanking him for all kinds of stuff. Putting my seatbelt on with my left hand. I, it's, yeah, I just have such an appreciation for things I never thought about. But mostly, Don't interpret God's love by your circumstances. Rather, interpret your circumstances by God's love. It really makes a difference. And then the shortest English verse. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? That's the shortest English verse. The shortest Greek verse is rejoice always. Interesting. Well, Jesus wept is three, three Greek words, and rejoice always is two Greek words. But then you think Jesus wept. Rejoice always. Hmm. Even when times are difficult, even when where things are happening that I don't understand, the Bible says rejoice because you know that despite your circumstances, God loves you. God loves you. He's in the midst of it. Don't give up on him because he hasn't given up on you. In prison, there was a piece that said, suffering teaches us patience. These words were found ten on the wall of a prison cell in Europe. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. God loves us and he chastens us to make us more like him. God disciplines all his children out of love. 
even if I don't understand it.
God had not promised skies ever blue, flower-strewn pathways always for you. He has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But he has promised strength from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love.